Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer, the purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Conclusions. Neither Talea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side LLC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello, and welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. I am your host, Talea Dendi. Today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Tamron Little. Tamron is a wife, mom of four, and 15-year and counting peritoneal mesothelioma survivor. She started as a contributing writer with the Mesothelioma Center to give patients and loved ones hope to keep pushing. Tamron, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this and I'm excited to chat with you today. Thank you. I am as well. We don't hear much about mesothelioma. Please tell us more. Mesothelioma is a type of cancer that is pretty much from asbestos exposure. So people who have mesothelioma either have two conditions of it. So you either have pleural, which is in the lung, or you have peritoneal, which is the one that I had, which is in the lining of the stomach. Both of those have been connected to asbestos exposure. And I know you're like, Tamron, what is asbestos? Asbestos is a harsh chemical that is used in things such as construction. So in walls, in carpeting, it has even been found in auto parts, as well as some type of makeups. But the United States has banned it somewhat, but they haven't banned it completely. So they currently do not make products with asbestos in them in the United States. But that doesn't mean that products are shipped into the United States that contain asbestos. So when I was first diagnosed, I didn't know anything about it either. I'm like, what? Like, I couldn't even hardly say the word. I'm like, okay, back up. How do you say that again? Peritoneal, what? Really put my research cap on to learn more about it and what I was facing in the coming months. 
Thank you so much for sharing that. I read in Otter Cole that you had written before that you were very young when you were diagnosed. I believe it mentioned that you happened to be pregnant as well. So that must have been a lot to take in at the time. What were you thinking? Girl, what was I thinking? I was 21. 21 years old. First of all, I was shocked that I was pregnant, but you take things as they come. And when I was pregnant, I was misdiagnosed initially. So when you go to have around four or five months to have the ultrasound for them to let you know what, you know, if you're going to have a girl or if you're going to have a boy, they told me I was having a boy. And they also told me that I had a fibroid tumor. So they sent me to another center, to their sister's clinic to get a more in-depth ultrasound. And they came to the conclusion that it was a fibroid tumor as well. So I went throughout the duration of my pregnancy. So from four months on to nine months, growing my baby and also this fibroid tumor was growing as well. So once they told me that, and I know that fibroid tumors run in the women in my family, from my aunts to my grandmother to even my mother. So that kind of gave me peace and reassured me that it's nothing. To answer your question, I was shocked. I didn't even know what I was thinking. But once they told me, oh, you don't have anything to worry about, then obviously I didn't have anything to worry about. But at the same time, I was having a lot of problems within my pregnancy with blood issues. So my hemoglobin was so low. At one point, it got down to around six. So I was going to a hematologist as well as my OBGYN doctor very early on, even like on a weekly to a bi-weekly basis. And for women who have been pregnant in the earlier months, you only go twice a month or even once a month. And you only go weekly once you start to hit that month eight and month nine. But early in my pregnancy, I was on one week, I was seeing my OB and the next week I was seeing a hematologist because they were following me, trying to make sure and trying to find out really what was going on. They misdiagnosed me and said I had microcentric anemia. I didn't know what that was either. And so it's pretty much when your red blood cells are so small that it cannot carry enough of oxygen and it cannot carry enough of the hemoglobin that is connected to your iron supply and your iron is what gives you strength and things like that. I was up to about five iron pills a day. Wow. wow. Pretty much. Yeah. That is a lot. Yes. Tamron, prior to getting the official diagnosis, what symptoms were you experiencing that caused you to go to the doctor? Were you just going because of your pregnancy and getting checked out or were you experiencing something else? I'm so glad that you asked that because the symptoms that I was having are similar to the symptoms of pregnancy. So you have the nausea, the vomiting, the constipation, which they were saying the constipation was from all the iron pills that I was taking. Because iron does make you backed up a little bit. Stomach pains. They were saying, oh, you're having stomach pains because it's your ligament spreading. And this is your first pregnancy. You will feel things like that because you never felt them before. So now, 15 years later, when I look back on, it was like a thin line. So it could have been the, the pregnancy symptoms. But although it could have been the symptoms of the mesothelioma, because it has the same symptoms of the nausea, the vomit, poor appetite, constipation, and stomach pains as well. 
Thank you for sharing that. Tamron, what was your treatment regimen? What did that look like? I was blessed to take part in a renowned surgery that not a lot of patients are even candidates for. So once I found out what I had, I did have an oncologist that really didn't know what it was or how to treat me. But thank God, um, I found a specialist who specializes in peritoneal mesothelioma. He also specialized in a surgery called the HIPEC, which is surgery where they take the tumor out and then they give you a high dose of radiation as well as chemotherapy. So once he presented me with that opportunity, I didn't take any thought to it. I didn't second guess him or myself. And I just said, okay, let's schedule it. And he said, you don't want to go home and think, no, I don't want to go home and think about it. Let's get this scheduled. So the surgery took about 10 hours. It was a very invasive, very serious surgery with some side effects that could have happened. I had that surgery September 2007. And I was in the hospital for about a week and a half. And it was a tough surgery. But one of the benefiting factors was my age. I was young, still growing, and so my recovery was not as long as versus a 65-year-old patient, which mesothelioma is commonly in 65-year-old Caucasian men. So that really worked out in my favor, and it took me a while to get back to me because nine months prior, I had just had a baby. So my body was recovering from that. <laughs> my first baby at that. And then I come in and have my second surgery because I had my first surgery at the beginning of the year, just about four months shy of me delivering my son. So my body was like, what is going on here? So it did take me, I would say six months to a year to really feel like myself again. But if I was to do it over again, I wouldn't change, change anything about it. Wow. That is a lot for someone, especially 21 years old, but just it's a lot in general. Tamron, who supported you? Did you have a strong support system during that tough time? I did. A support system is vital when you're going through any type of cancer diagnosis because it's trauma to your mental state, it's trauma to your body. And just having someone there, even if they haven't gone through what you've been through, but just having someone there to act as a sounding board, to be there to help you every step of the way. I had a great support system, and first, it was my husband. At the time, he was not, people say he was my baby daddy. He was my baby daddy. And I knew from the start that me and him were meant to be together and that he was a keeper. Because who else would stay with a woman that they just had a baby with and just got diagnosed with cancer? At 21. at 21, a lot of men would have been like, take me to child support court once you get everything together with yourself. Yes. <laughs> but he really stood by my side. He did things for me that I was embarrassed that he was doing was there. He he bathed me. He helped me get dressed. He is the one who really took care of Caleb because 
he would get up in the middle of the night. He would fix his bottles. He would, because even after the surgery, I couldn't lift Caleb. Like I couldn't do the things as a new mommy that I wanted to do. So he, he stepped in and he stepped up and he was definitely a godsend. And the month after I had my surgery, we actually went and got married. Like we went to the, wow. to the courthouse and we got married. So I'm like, oh, wow, you know, he really likes me. Yes, just a little. <laughs> yeah, he wants to make, make me his wife. Okay, I see what we're doing here. And so he was definitely my number one supporter, as well as my grandparents, my mom, and my aunts. And my husband couldn't be there because he had to work. They stepped in, came over and cleaned the house. Babysat Caleb because he was only nine months, so he was still a baby. You know, what my husband couldn't be there for, then they stepped in as well. A lot of people think that a support system has to be family. It does not have to be family. It could be a neighbor down the street, but they are just there to support you in your time of need. So having a support system is vital to your recovery, and it's vital to your mental health as well as your physical health. So I definitely promote having a great support system as you go through your cancer journey. That is such a blessing. I love the story that you shared about your husband because especially in this day and time, that is a blessing, especially at 21. Most people are not even thinking about marriage, (laughs) not to mention all the things that unfortunately you had to go through. But I'm sure it made you a stronger person and probably made you mature a lot faster than than you normally would have. Yeah, it definitely did. You mentioned Tamron mental health. You happened to talk to a therapist during or after your cancer journey? Oh, you know the stigma around therapists and psychiatrists, predominantly a lot in the African-American community is something that up until now has been like looked upon on and frowned upon on like you're going to put a label on me I'm not crazy so during that time I did not seek help from a therapist a couple reasons so one reason is that it was not offered to me and if you don't know what options you have then how do you know to seek that So it was not offered to me. And secondly, I didn't view mental health on the same plane as physical health. So all of my focus was on getting rid of this cancer and feeling normal again. So it really didn't click into my mind until years down the road that I was cancer free. And then once that happened, I started seeing where if I would have sought mental health and really looked at it as number one with my physical health, maybe I wouldn't be going through or having panic attacks such as I did, anxiety attacks, just different things like that. Years down the road when I started seeing a therapist and together we started pulling back the layers of 10, 12 years of all of this mental anguish and suppression that I was suppressing and didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. And then so now that I am aware 
of the things that I was going through, it's kind of like you're backtracking, but you're only backtracking to pull some things back, to uncover some things so you can heal properly. Now I have a therapist. I have a doctor who I see on a regular basis as well because mental health is so vital to your journey, whether it's before cancer, during cancer, and even most importantly, after cancer. Because for me, it seemed like that's when everything just hits me out of the blue. And because I didn't seek help for my mental state, I didn't know what to expect. So here I'm thinking it's something else, but it's actually something that had been festering in me for the longest. And I didn't realize that I went through trauma. I didn't realize that I was portraying symptoms of PTSD. And all of this was going around the anxiety attacks and the panic attacks. So one thing that I do that I always advocate for is mental health. And I even wrote an article on asbestos.com about how looking at your mental health going through your cancer journey is just as important as your physical being. Because when you're going through cancer, I don't know about you, but for myself, my mind, once we had a plan in place, my mind was on that plan. Yes. I was not present. And even though I did it, I don't think all people should do that. Because in order to process things the way it should be processed, you got to be present. You got to feel the feels and not just touch the surface. Because what I was doing and I didn't know it was I was just adding. And then years down the road when life is peachy or I think it's peachy, bam. I got to pull over to the side of the road because all of a sudden my body's in this flight or fright mode and I don't know what's going on and I'm sweating and my heart is beating. I can hear it in my ear. I can't breathe good. And I'm going to the hospital and they looking at me like, what's wrong with you? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, can y'all find out what is wrong with me? And it took several visits to the ER, several visits to my doctors and months to actually find out that what I was having were panic attacks. Thank you so much for sharing that very personal information. But I think it's so important to talk about these things because I want to touch on a couple things that you mentioned. Number one, it wasn't mm-hmm. even offered to you. And mm-hmm. so I asked different people, and it's so amazing the different answers I get. And mm-hmm. there's a mixture between, like you, it wasn't offered, mm-hmm. or it was offered, but it wasn't a good fit. Or, right. or they just weren't sure what to do with the person. You would think by now there would be mm-hmm. more of a streamlined way to make sure people get their mental health addressed. I know some hospitals and clinics are a little bit better at it, but it's still mm-hmm. a need. It's still something that needs to be addressed. But then mm-hmm. also having more diverse therapists and counselors, yeah. that is so critical because of the stigma tied to it. But then also, I believe that there's some cultural factors that Mm -hmm. other people are just not going to be able to relate to because they haven't experienced those things. Yes. And 
Also, I want to thank you for advocating for mental health. That's very near and dear to me too, because like you said, when you're going through cancer, if you're not aware that you need to be taking care of that, that's not on your mind. Yes. And trauma, trauma, that word, yeah. trauma, <laughs> yeah. if you don't address it, it will catch you when you least expect it. The thing about mesothelioma is once you have been exposed to asbestos and it has been inhaled, ingested, then there is a migration period. So it actually lies dormant in your body and it usually sticks to people's lungs in my case it stuck to the lining of my stomach and it usually lies dormant for about 20 years so usually if you look up asbestos cases that's why when people first find out they have it they're 65 67 70 75 so they pretty much had this in their 20s, but now it's the giant has woke up and is causing problems. And then that's how they find out that they have mesothelioma. And it's usually because they've worked in the coal mines, they work in the construction business, in the automotive business, on, on the Navy ships and things like that, where they were actually handling this stuff. So my case is a little bit different, but it still goes along the same line. So being that I found out I had it at the age of 21, doctors are saying that I was exposed to it when I was a toddler, probably around age two. And if I would have waited to get pregnant or maybe have not gotten pregnant at all, who's to know when I would have found out that I had it? So when I found out that I had it, it was in its first stage or even they really didn't stage it because it was still new. The trauma that having cancer, the trauma that it caused me years after it did play into me getting sick, hence the panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and things like that. Me actually going through that was trauma to my body, trauma to my mental state, and even having surgeries back to back like I did. That is trauma in itself. Thank you for explaining that. You're welcome. One thing I wanted to ask you was, is there any screening for mesotheliomia? Not that I know of. It's like an ongoing research that some scientists are now picking out if people have mesothelioma traits. But it hasn't been anything that's like definite and that has been thrown to the masses for you to go and get checked out. Because... It's caused by asbestos exposure. If someone has been exposed to asbestos, then they should go to a doctor and get the screening, such as CAT scans, MRIs, things like that. But it's not definitively like a blood test that you can take and it'll tell you if you have it. Tamron, when someone is initially diagnosed with mesotheliomia, what do you suggest is the first thing that they do when they get that diagnosis? I would say the first thing to do when you get the diagnosis that you have mesothelioma is first contact the mesothelioma center. They have so much, like they have a wealth of information and they can contact 
they can connect you with different specialists that may be in your area. They have a different guide that you can look through, that they will send you, that you can look through. They can connect you to the support group that they have because support is important. They also promote mental health as well. So they have options for that as well. So if you reach out to them and get in contact with one of their patient advocates, that is exactly what they do. They advocate for you, the patient. I wish that I would have known about the Novocalyoma Center when I was first diagnosed. Google was out, but it really wasn't a thing like it is now. It was like, okay, Google, okay. And I don't know if you remember XGs where you actually had in the box an actual question. It was called XG. Yes. Yeah. When my family and I was looking up for information on this, it was like, 65-year-old Caucasian man, 73-year-old Caucasian man that's a retired veteran and was, you know, diagnosed and has a poor prognosis and he wants to live, which they gave me 18 months to live. Oh, wow. And so you could imagine the information and we were just like, like our eyes just got, and I'm like, okay, let's stop it. I don't want to read anymore. I know I'm going to live past 18 months. But just having a reputable organization such as the Mesothelioma Center, it really helps your journey. I don't want to say smooth it out, but it smooths it out because you can go there for unanswered questions or anything related to your mesothelioma journey. So that would definitely be one of the first things that I would do. Great. I will share that link in the listen notes so that the listeners can go back and reference that website. Also agree with what you said, because mesothelioma is so specialized, I think having a dedicated organization to support people is so important. Mm -hmm. Just because again, Tamron, as I mentioned earlier, you don't hear enough about it. I mean, I've heard of asbestos and things like that. I heard of mesothelioma, but I really didn't know much about it in the past. I would say within the last five years is when I started learning more about it. And I just wasn't coming into contact with people Mm -hmm. who had unfortunately experienced mesothelioma. So I was so happy to meet with you and be able to have you on the show to talk about this. It's so important. Yeah, it is. I echo what you just said it's it is very important and people when they you would never know like even if you knew what mesothelioma was and if you just met me on the street you would have never knew unless i told you that i had mesothelioma and so it is so rare and the peritoneal is so rare and being that i was so young it's lawyers they didn't even they were scrambling I know you've seen the commercials with you, family member, has been diagnosed, all our law office today. So I called them and they were just like stomped. And because they had never seen someone so young, they, they were just like scratching their heads like, well, how in the world are we supposed to make a case and you was a toddler? We can't say that you worked for the meal or this and that. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> Even if someone doesn't look like the typical patient, you still have to take into account their experience, their journey, and just know that you can learn from them as well about mesothelioma and about who it can impact, who it can affect, and not just leaning on this one particular 
patient facts. And that's what we do in our wonderful world. We, you know, Lingler says this, research says that. Yeah, research may say that, you know, even if you go to Google now, it will tell you the typical patient. And I bet it doesn't have me up there. It's sometimes you just can't go off of research. You have to go as well as off of experience because it can happen. So I'm proof that it can happen. That's so true. I'm so happy that you survived and you're thriving. You got past that. And now you are doing some amazing work in the community. You're taking your experience with everything that you've been through and you're helping other people, other survivors, other families. Please tell us more about the work that you're doing. You mentioned why you're doing it, what motivated you, but if you have more to share about that, please share that as well. I wear so many hats, but I love it. And this over the years has become a passion of mine to really be that advocator and going through the cancer journey and different things like that. I took mental notes of what to do, what not to do, what to say, things like that. And that as patients, we have rights as well. We have the right to ask our doctor a question. We have a right to disagree with them. We have a right to change positions. And a lot of people think the opposite of that. Well, they're the doctor and no. So one of my things that I do is I really push patient advocacy. And I do that when I speak somewhere or when I'm writing. So I am a writing writer for various publications in the cancer community. You can mainly see me on asbestos.com as well as Cancer Wellness Magazine, Thrive Global, American Cancer Society. And one of the things is that I, I'm very transparent. I do a lot of things, but the core value of it all is going back to being your own advocate. And one of my goals is to inspire others, inspire them and give them hope when they probably don't see hope. And that happens a lot of times when you're diagnosed with cancer, you think all hope is gone. So I really take a spin on my spirituality and I really push that inspiration push that hope, give people an opening doorway into my life to see that, yes, you can be a cancer survivor, and yes, you can flaunt your stuff, wear your fashion stuff, have children, live your life, and thrive at it. You don't always have to be counted out as, oh, she has cancer, she can't do this. Oh, she went through that, she can't do this. I can, because... You can do anything that you can put your mind to. And I'm a true testament to know that there is nothing and nothing too hard for God. There is nothing that God can't do. And I am living proof to that. And in all of the falsets of what I do, I love to express that. No matter if I'm talking in the pulpit at church or I'm giving a speech at work or even at the White House. I was on the panelists for cancer moonshot at the White House. I allowed my experience to show my transparency. And I do believe that just from that talk that I 
allowed people to let down a lot of guards and broke through some barriers, even amongst people. Because a lot of people are not like us. If they had cancer, they don't want to talk about it. My husband is an example. He's a cancer survivor as well. He had it and he had mucosal lymphoma. And you couldn't get him to, unless someone asked. And I respect that. But I feel as if, if I don't enlighten you on my experience and the things that I have learned, how can I help you? (laughs) You're fine. You're fine. This is about you. I agree with that so much because for me, when I was going through it, I didn't want to talk about it. Even a year or two into survivorship, I didn't want to talk about it because I was still trying to figure out what is next. What the heck just happened and what's next? (laughs) Once I started getting my groove back, so to speak, that's when I really wanted to start talking about it and sharing with people what I went through, what it was like. And that's when things really started to change. When you put Mm -hmm. yourself out there and you take those hard things that you've been through and Mm -hmm. you be of service to others, it's just like the whole world just opens up. And so... I understand also some people that don't want to talk about it. They're like, that was a nightmare. Let's just right. close the book on that. I get it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's how my husband is. He's okay, God got me through it. I'm not revisiting it. I'm moving on and pushing forward. And I definitely respect that. And that's why me and him are polar opposites. Mm-hmm. They opposite track. Yes. And they do. Absolutely. <laughs> that's true. Yes. <laughs> I want to thank you for all the work that you're doing, Tamron, in the cancer community as well as with mesotheliomia. I'd like to ask my guests two questions before we end. The first question is, what is something that you've learned in life that you would like to share with the listeners? A lot of things in life. One of the things that I've learned, and if you follow me on Instagram, you see this every morning, but it's that you have the power and the authority to command your day. So it doesn't matter which side of the bed that you woke up on. It doesn't matter, you know, how trash your day might have been before or if you had a long night and didn't sleep. When God opens your eyes and he plants your feet on the ground, it's up to you to create your day and how your day is going to go. So it does not matter what happens. A lot of people dwell on that. We have power over our mind, and the mind is a powerful thing. And so we, you, me, whoever's listening, you have the power and the authority to command your day. So I always say, make it a good one, because the choice is yours. Great advice. The second question is, what is next for you, Tamron? Yeah, I have a lot of things coming up and I just thank and praise God for the doors that he's opening for me to really share my story and to be a light in someone's life. One of the things that I have been working on for the past year and it's going to be coming out this fall is a devotional book and it's called Thrive Sister Thrive, 21 Women's Devotional to Help You Thrive on Purpose. So I am so excited about it and I really put myself in this and want it to be a God that women can use all the time. And it's a journal devotional as well 
so you can take notes and write in there. And so I'm just excited about that. Please stay tuned. They will be sold on my website, CameronMoodle.com. I also have some things going on as well with the FDA. We have a fireside chat coming up in October as well. So I will be getting some insight coming from a woman of color perspective. So I'm excited about that. And you can always catch me on Instagram. You can always catch me some of my new articles on asbestos.com. Always write about two articles a month for them. But yeah, I'm just excited for what, you know, God is doing in my life. Congratulations on your upcoming devotional book. That is a great accomplishment. And I look forward to hearing more about that as more details become available. Tamron, you mentioned that you're on Instagram. Please tell the listeners your Instagram handle. All right, so on all of my social media channels, you can reach me at Tamron Little. That's my whole name. That's my government name, Tamron Little, on all social media platforms. Just uh, give me a follow and I will definitely follow you back. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tamron, for sharing all of your information, your insight, and your wisdom. Is there anything else that you would like to add or share before we end today? Yeah, one thing I would say is whoever's listening to keep pushing, never get up, never give up, no matter how hard it may seem, just keep pushing. Thank you so much for sharing those encouraging words. And Tamron, again, thank you. It has been such a pleasure talking with you. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. That is it for this Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.